And now hear our lesson of the day from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our rock, our precious cornerstone, and our kinsman redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we are picking back up in the letter of First Peter. Uh, you'll remember from uh, a few few sermons ago, as we've we've worked through a few uh, parts of chapter one, uh, Peter is addressing churches in Asia Minor who have been scattered uh, throughout uh, this area because of persecution from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Peter's writing to them to encourage them in the midst of their suffering, to remind them of what God has done for them in Christ. And he's writing to remind them how they ought to live in their circumstances. And so far we've seen in chapter 1 how God has caused us, the church, to be born again to a living hope through Christ's resurrection from the dead. How he calls us to a life of holy living, to be holy as I am holy. And how we are to live by the word from beginning to end. We're creatures of the word. We grow up into salvation by means of the word. The word is the spiritual milk that we are to crave and long for like newborn babes. And now Peter is switching the metaphor in the beginning of chapter 2, to talk about the church as living stones. uh, As living stones that are built on the living stone. And what I would like to do this morning is to first consider what it means for Christ to be called the living stone. We will, from there, consider a few points of application that Peter brings out from that central reality of our life in Christ building our lives on Christ, the living stone. You'll remember from the Gospels that Peter, who's writing this letter, was named Simon. That was his name, Simon. But Jesus gave him a new name. Jesus called him Petros, Peter. A name meaning rock. You are the little rock. And on this rock, the confession of Peter that Christ is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, He will build his church. 
one wonders if after receiving this name, this nickname, the rock, if Peter listened a little more intently uh, every time that Jesus was talking about the stone. But you'll find no mention of Peter in this passage where he focuses entirely on Christ, the living stone, and the foundation that Christ lays for the church. In our passage, Peter here quotes three stone passages, which we just heard read in our scripture lessons and in our, in our Psalter lesson. Uh, these texts are also quoted by Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews. They show up all, all throughout the New Testament. And no doubt the apostles learned the true meaning of these texts from Christ himself. For we see in the Gospels over and over again, Christ referring to these texts to help people understand who he is, to help people understand uh, the mysterious plan of God that is unfolding before them. I'd like to briefly summarize each of these three passages and look at Jesus' teaching that we heard read in, in Matthew 21, which shows up again in the other Gospels as well. We'll focus on Matthew 21 um, and how Jesus uh, situates himself in light of these texts, how Jesus shows us uh, what these texts refer to with respect to himself. And from there, we'll look at some points of application that Peter draws out here in the letter of 1 Peter from this teaching on Christ as the living stone. The three passages that Peter cites in this section on Christ the living stone are Isaiah 8, Isaiah 28, and Psalm 118. And each of these chapters sort of build on one another um, with reference to the stone theme. So let's look at them briefly in turn. Isaiah 8, the prophet Isaiah is rebuking King Ahaz and the people of Judah for taking refuge in Assyria against their enemies rather than trusting Yahweh. They were up against Syria. They were up against these foes who had big armies. And they decided to make a pact with Assyria instead of trusting in the Lord. They trusted in men, in princes. They trusted in weapons and chariots. And Yahweh says, He is the Lord of hosts, that He should be honored as holy. He's the Lord of armies. He should be the fear and the dread of the people of Israel, not their enemies. He promises in that text to become a sanctuary, a temple, and a safe haven. But He also warns the leaders, that he will be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling for both houses of Israel, for Judah and for Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on this stone. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Now this is obviously language of judgment on both houses of Israel for her rejection of the Lord. Judah compromised in her time of trouble, and it ultimately led to further idolatry and false worship. The other Isaiah passage that Peter quotes is Isaiah 28. Here, he's rebuking Israel's leadership again, this time for scoffing at God's word and making an alliance with Egypt. Once again, she's looking to other 
gods. She's looking to other places for her refuge. Isaiah tells of a stone that Yahweh will lay in Zion, the Lord's holy mountain. And this stone will be a precious cornerstone and a sure foundation for his house. Isaiah says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we've made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says Yahweh God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be put to shame. Though this passage too includes judgment on Israel, it has stronger overtones of hope that the Lord intends to build in Zion, that he has a precious cornerstone that he intends to lay. The word cornerstone here is literally head of the corner, the most important stone in the foundation. This is the beginning of a new foundation for the Lord's house. He's going to destroy the old house and he's going to rebuild a new one with this precious stone. The Lord has chosen a precious stone to lay and begin this project. That leads us to Psalm 118 the third passage that Peter cites, which takes up the stone theme that we saw in chapter 8 and and 28, and it starts to focus them in on this blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, in Isaiah 8, the Lord is the stone. He's the sanctuary and the stumbling block. Uh, But this stone becomes, in Isaiah 28, something that the Lord lays in Zion. And then in Psalm 118, it becomes this messianic figure uh, who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, the theme is salvation for God's people, but it happens through this unexpected turn of events. The builders rejecting the stone, and the Lord makes the stone a cornerstone, a sure foundation for his new house, his new building project. The psalmist says that this is the Lord's doing. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord took the rejected stone and has brought about salvation by making it the cornerstone. Now, Peter no doubt heard many times in Jesus' own teaching uh, about these texts, as we heard the example in, in Matthew 21, the parable of the tenants. Jesus tells a parable to the leaders of Israel yet again the chief priests and the Pharisees, about a master who planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants while he was away. When he sends his servants to collect fruit from the vineyard, these wicked tenants reject the servants. They beat them, they stone them, they kill them. Finally, the master sends his own son, whom surely they would honor. The tenants conspire to kill even him, in order that they may keep the inheritance of the vineyard to themselves. And the parable, of course, is a story about Israel, how the Lord made Israel a vineyard who was to bear fruit, to be a blessing to the nations. But she had turned in on herself in idolatry. She failed to bear fruit for the Lord. She was an unfruitful house. 
she became a den of robbers and thieves. The Lord sent his servant, his servants, the prophets, to call Israel to repentance, to bear fruit for the master, to be a fruitful vineyard. But the prophets were rejected over and over again. And the Lord finally, in the fullness of time, of course, sends his only son. But they rejected him too and conspired to kill him. Jesus is calling out these leaders in Israel to show them what they are doing, what they are even now planning to fulfill, and what they are missing. Jesus asks them, what should the master do with these wicked tenants? At this point, they clearly don't understand the meaning of the story. And so they reply, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. And Jesus, like the prophet Nathan, who comes to David and tells him a parable to confront him in his sin with Bathsheba, says, you are the man. This story is about you. Jesus says to the Pharisees and the chief priests, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And the ironic thing is that they go from there to plot and kill him, to fulfill the prophecy in this story. Jesus, speaking to the leadership in Israel, is saying, you are the builders of God's house in Psalm 118. And you are rejecting me, the Lord's precious and chosen stone, which will be the foundation for his marvelous salvation throughout the world. Christ is the key element in the foundation of God's building project. The builders missed the essential piece to the building project. It's this image of a group of builders looking for the perfect stone to build God's house. And they find a precious stone And they test it, and they look at it, and they reject it and toss it aside, looking for another. Peter, in his sermon in Acts 4, calls out all the leadership of Israel again, this time after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And we're told that Peter, after he and the apostles healed this crippled man, spoke to the leaders who were questioning them, and he says this, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means uh, this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Just as Joseph was rejected by his brothers, but that rejection was a crucial part of the divine plan to raise him up to save Egypt and all the world, 
just as Moses, who was rejected by the people of Israel, but the Lord raised him up to deliver them. Just as David, who was rejected by Saul, the leader of Israel, who was passed over in the sons of Jesse, um, and Saul tried to kill him, but David was made king over Israel. So too, Jesus is the stone that the builders reject, but he became the most important stone in the whole structure of God's building project, God's plan to fill the whole earth with his glory. Israel's leaders rejected Jesus, and the Lord chose to take the kingdom away from them and to give it to a people producing fruits. God's purposes, of course, were not frustrated by Israel's rejection of Christ. The rejection of Christ by the builders was always part of the plan. Peter already said in chapter 1 that the sufferings of Christ were predicted by the prophets. No doubt thinking of Isaiah. Jesus himself predicted on many occasions in his lifetime that he must suffer at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed. Jesus pronounces that the temple is dead, that the glory has departed. The Jews rejected Jesus. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So did God just reject Israel? Did God go back on his promises? Paul takes up this question, of course, in Romans 11. And he says, by no means, look at me. You are looking at a descendant from Abraham. God has kept a remnant and he intends to bring in many more, which we see, of course, played out in the book of Acts. So though Israel rejects Jesus in their rejection, Jesus takes on the judgment of Israel and indeed of the whole world in his death on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree, Peter says. Jesus takes on himself the wrath of God and becomes the true temple destroyed. The leaders of Israel destroyed the true temple of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and in this marvelous plan, the Lord laid on Jesus the judgment for Israel and for all of our sins. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Through his resurrection from the dead, he became the cornerstone for a new and living temple. This time, a temple that can never be destroyed. That all who believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile, will never be put to shame. This is what it means for Christ to be the stone that the builders rejected. Christ was rejected, but his rejection, in his rejection, he becomes the means by which he has made a sure foundation for a glorious future. That is to say, through his suffering on the cross and resurrection from the dead, he brings about a new creation. For the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at five points of application from here. Five things that we are to do if we are to be a people built on Christ, the living stone. We are to see first the preeminence of Christ. We are to be formed after the pattern of Christ. We are to prioritize his church. We are to live lives of priestly service and we are to live by his promise. So preeminence of Christ, the pattern of Christ, prioritizing his church, lives of priestly service, and living by his promise. 
Peter says, as you come to Him, as you come to Christ, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, we are to value Him above all else. We are to regard Christ as His Father regards Him. Chosen and precious. As Peter says, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I'll ask you, is Christ precious to you? Does Christ have the place of honor in your life? Is Christ everything to you? Is He prized above all in your life? Is He infinitely worthy to you? Treasured above all else? If we are to have a life built on Christ the living stone, we must come to Him by faith, seeing Him as He really is. Seeing Him as His Father sees Him, as chosen and precious. Psalm 118 exclaims that this thing, this salvation that the Lord has brought about is marvelous in our eyes. Is His salvation marvelous in your eyes? In the Gospels, we meet a woman, a sinner, who purchases an alabaster flask at great cost to herself, just so she can wash Jesus' dirty feet with it. Jesus is worth everything to her. And the disciples reply, why this waste? Why this waste? Jesus says her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Do you still marvel at God's grace in your life? That is why we are here this morning, right? We are here to receive his mercy, his forgiveness, receive his gifts, to give thanks for how he has changed everything for us. Are you still amazed at all that he has done for you? When you hear the pastor declaring on behalf of Christ that all your sins are forgiven, do you still marvel at this? At his kindness towards you, his favor towards you? Are you amazed like Paul at the Savior who loved me and gave himself for me? If you aren't, then pray like Paul does for the Ephesians, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As you come to Christ the living stone, is He precious to you? Being built on Christ the living stone means giving Christ preeminence in your life. Secondly, being built on Christ the living stone means being formed after the pattern of Christ. Peter says, as you come to Him, a living stone, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built. Coming to Christ by faith results in being made like Christ. We are made into living stones like the living stone. Jesus is the living stone because he has been raised from the dead and he has brought about a living hope. But as we come to him, as we draw near to him, we are given this resurrection life. We become living stones ourselves. He has life and he gives us life. Like a magnet that's able to charge up dead metal with its force, 
So the Lord makes dead stones alive as they are connected to him. Peter has already told us that we have been born again to a living hope. Born again through the living and abiding word. And now he says we are living stones because we are built on the living stone. Chosen and precious. Yes, we look forward to resurrection life. We have a hope in the future. But we are alive now in the spirit, walking in union and communion with Christ. We are made living stones because, like Christ, uh, we are united to him. He is a living stone. And what's true of him is now true of us. We are being formed into his image, into his pattern. Christ was rejected, yet chosen and precious to the Father. So we too are rejected like Christ, for Christ's sake, by the world. But we will be vindicated by the Father. The pattern of Christ's life is one of suffering that leads to glory. And ultimately, that becomes the pattern of our life. Peter's encouraging these Christians who, in Asia Minor, are despised and rejected by the world. They've been despised by their own people in Jerusalem, and now they're despised by Gentiles, around them who uh, have no relation to them. Peter says, you're, you're living stones, precious in God's sight, just as Christ was the living stone. You are little Christs, which is, which is to say that you are made chosen and precious to the Lord. Your heavenly Father regards you as He regards His own Son. Though the world rejects you and hates you, you will ultimately not be put to shame. A life built on Christ the living stone results in us being formed after the pattern of Christ. Thirdly, a life built on Christ the living stone must prioritize the church. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, as a temple. Coming to Christ results in being joined to His house, the church. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian or a lone living stone just out there by himself or herself. To come to Christ means to be joined to His body. To share in Christ's life is to share in Christ's church. We are being built up into a spiritual house. That is, a new temple of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Jesus, the living stone, you become part of His spiritual household, the ongoing construction project that the Lord began in Christ. Paul in Ephesians 2 picks up this same idea. He says, For through Him we both, that is, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A life built on the living stone is a life of prioritizing the church. At a minimum, this means joining a local church 
We're not joining up with some uh, mysterious, ethereal, spiritual church. The church of the New Testament is the church on the corner. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. Joining a local church, submitting yourselves to the elders of a church. That's what it means to prioritize the church. Gathering on the Lord's Day with Christ's church. Worshiping God with the assembly. Receiving His word and sacrament from His appointed ministers. Beyond that, it means looking for ways to be involved in and contribute to the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ. And the body of Christ needs you. God has given us to one another that we might grow up together and be built into a spiritual house for His Spirit to dwell in. We need each other's gifts to build up the body of Christ. Look for ways to use your gifts and talents to serve Christ's body. Make the church an essential part of your life. Building a life on Christ the living stone means prioritizing His church. Fourth, a life built on Christ is a priestly life of service and sacrifice. Peter says, you yourselves like living stones are to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, Becoming a living stone, a spiritual household, we become a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Peter begins to mix his metaphors here because the fulfillment transcends all the types that anticipated it. The church is both the new temple and the new holy priesthood. We don't offer sacrifices so that our sins may be forgiven. Christ offered once for all a single sacrifice for sins. By his single offering, Hebrews says, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin. We can draw near and enter the holy place by the blood of Christ. So what are the spiritual sacrifices that Peter has in mind here? Hebrews 13 talks about the sacrifice of praise that we are to continually offer up, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Our worship and our praise are a spiritual offering to the Lord. Psalm 141 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Our prayers are spiritual offerings we bring to God daily, evening and morning. Paul in Philippians 4 talks about financial gifts to the church and to other saints as a fragrant offering to the Lord. Likewise, Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Paul calls the church in Romans to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our whole lives are to be offered to the Lord in obedient service as an offering. Paul tells the Philippians, I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul sees his work and his ministry as a pouring out of his life as a fragrant offering to the Lord. All of these offerings that we offer up are acceptable 
to God, Peter says, because they're offered through Christ, the living stone. Peter says that God accepts your spiritual sacrifice because you offer them through the blood of Jesus. His death takes away our sins, yes, but it also perfects our spiritual offerings. It perfects our sacrifices uh, that are now pleasing to God, and he's pleased to receive them. The blood of Christ cleanses all of your offerings to God in such a way that he loves to receive your praise. He loves to hear your prayers. He loves your works of obedience. He's delighted with your obedience to him because Christ has made these offerings acceptable. Now, are you walking around with guilt and shame thinking that God is never pleased with your works? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, Peter says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The Father regards you as chosen and precious. Confess your actual sins to God, yes, but know that Christ paid for your sins. Don't belittle his precious blood. You have the favor and the love of the Father. He accepts your offerings. A life of spiritual service and sacrifice does not mean that you have to become a missionary or a full-time pastor. We are to do all of our work, give all of our life as a spiritual offering to the Lord, whatever work that is. Work your job or run your business as a spiritual offering to the Lord. When you make meals or do the dishes or clean the house, offer it up as a fragrant offering to the Lord. Be diligent in your studies and in your schoolwork and offer it as a spiritual offering to the Lord. A life built on Christ the living stone is a life of priestly service and sacrifice. Lastly, a life that is built on Christ is a life of living by his promise. When we come to Christ the living stone, we have the assurance and the hope that we will not be put to shame. Peter says in verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. You will not be put to shame. Rather, you will receive honor. The foolish man who built his house on the sand ended up with destruction, with ruin. But the wise man built his house upon the rock, and it stood. This temple built on Christ, the cornerstone, will never be destroyed. There is no surer foundation than Christ, the living stone. Peter presents us with only two choices, two destinies. You either come to Christ, the living stone, regarding him as chosen, precious, infinitely worthy, or you despise and reject the living stone to your own peril. Those who honor the Son are promised glory and honor and praise. Those who do not honor the Son can only expect shame on the last day. Those who come to the living stone will receive life and immortality, while those who stumble over him fall away to destruction. You are either being built into a temple for God's glory or you will be crushed like the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? This is the most important question that any of us can ask of ourselves. Who do you say that I am? 
Consider your life. Consider your priorities. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your trust? Who do you say that I am? Christ is the only sure foundation for this life and for the next life. Christ is the only certain thing that we can count on. Though we experience rejection by men in this life, though we experience hardships, ultimately, if we are built on the cornerstone, the living stone, we will not be put to shame. That is the promise. One day the curtain will be pulled back and all will be laid bare. Peter says this in chapter 1, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A life built on Christ, the living stone, is a life of living by this promise. After the Lord had delivered Israel from Egypt, they journeyed through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai. And when they were hungry, the Lord provided them manna, bread from heaven, to eat. When they were thirsty, the Lord commanded Moses to strike the rock at Horeb so that water flowed out of the rock and they drank. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 concerning Israel that all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ, the rock, was stricken so that we might receive life. Christ, the living stone who was rejected, has become the cornerstone. As you come to Him at this table this morning, He offers you true spiritual food and drink to nourish and build you up into a spiritual house, a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He offers you His very life. He offers you strength to pour out yourself in priestly service to Him and to your neighbor. He offers you life in Himself and a sure foundation for a glorious future. Know this, whoever believes and trusts in this precious living stone shall not be put to shame. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.